0: Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. I'm going to kick into uh, the Word this morning. I'll talk about uh, some themes that all kind of intersect um, and pull out a few scriptures there. And This is, uh, this is faith, hope, and doubt. And this is, uh, this is something that um, we all experience these things. We all struggle with these things. We all um, maybe struggle to categorize these things. They sometimes lose a bit of meaning or become buzzwords. So I want to break down some of these elements and just chat about um, how they intersect, how they're separate, and what we can take away from that. So there's a couple um, texts that we'll look into this morning to do that. You can open up actually to 1 Peter, uh, which is going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 mostly. Uh, verse 3 to 9 there. I'm going to read it over and then we can start breaking it down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserves in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith ...for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we read it, it reads us. And God, that as we uh, we, uh, digest this this morning, Father, that your spirit would open our hearts to receive, that we would be transformed. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Amen. Let's, uh, let's work through this passage a little bit and look at those themes, faith, hope, and doubt, and see what we can find a little bit about them. So in verse 3, starting with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we can see here that first use of that term we're talking about today, hope. And hope is a term I think I've struggled to categorize, maybe, uh, because the way we use it and it comes up in day-to-day life, it it can feel um, weak or half-hearted. It can come across even helpless, ironically. You know, I hope the weather is good tomorrow. I hope my favorite team wins, Ben. I I don't know sports. I hope the preacher doesn't preach for too long this morning. I hear people pray sometimes, and they say, instead of praying to God, they say, instead of I, I pray, they say, I hope. And it just doesn't come across the same way. It doesn't feel like it's fueled by faith, and it's not packing the same punch. Like, it's so unspecific. Who are we hoping to? And a lot of the ways that we use it. And I think that this hope in the day-to-day sense that we often use, it is missing the potency that's described in Scripture. And this is what maybe we can refer to as a dead hope. It has no direction it has no vitality. It has no meat on the bones, no substance. It's, it's funny that thing, substance. Hebrews 11 tells us that when you add um, substance to hope, you get this thing called faith. And faith is another word that we use. And we, we actually prefer it because faith sounds punchy and bold and you can say it loudly. But hope, we can only say timidly. Maybe you resonate with my feelings around these terms. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's just me. But I know I need to pay attention to what Peter's saying here because he's using this loud, bold, punchy language, not talking about faith, but talking about hope. And the reason for the confidence and the boldness in talking about hope here is the word prior to that, and that is that it's a living hope. So we're talking about living hope this morning. I hope that isn't just spoken out into the universe. I hope that isn't just wished, but a hope that's made up of the same power that rose Christ from the dead. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about. And this is why the resurrection is so essential. This is why, um, if you were here last week, you might not have found room to sit down and church was packed. Because celebrating the resurrection, you know, church is overflowing at the seams. Because if Jesus stayed in the grave, then our hope stayed in the grave with him. And for three days it did. Holy Saturday was, I think, probably the only time in, in human history from Jesus' birth to now that no one believed in Jesus. That Saturday was the only time where there was no one that believed in him. But Josh shared last week the story of Peter and John racing to the, home, uh, to the tomb because there was just this spark. There was just this spark of something that was alive in them again. And that's the living hope that God has borne us into, his begotten us into through the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4. What are we begotten to? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You don't need me to tell you that the things of this world are temporary. And anything that we place our hope in here is not going to last. It might be corrupted or defiled or it will fade away because that's just the nature of this earth. In fact, there's nothing of ours that can be taken into the life to come, but only that which is reserved for us as an an inheritance from God. But this verse also shows us that we are kept on the track, we are kept on the course by the power of God through faith until the last time. So this gift of faith, this, this power of God in faith, from God, not only guides us and directs our hope, but it also shields us and keeps us and sustains us on this journey of life. It keeps us on track when we slip up or we doubt or our hope falls out of perspective. It's this gift of faith that actually keeps us on the track. There's a reason that in the armor of God, the shield of faith is, uh, the shield is is faith, I should say. I think we often think of faith as the weapon and faith is, um, our, our attack against the enemy. Uh, we know that the sword of the spirit is our, is our weapon. But faith is actually our protection. Faith is what shields us from the fiery arrows of the enemy. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I struggle sometimes reading the New Testament because um, a lot of it is written to persecuted Christians, right? And I don't want to relate too closely to um, the situations people that are that are risking death for their faith. And maybe on first read, I felt the same way here, that um, the, the various trials that Paul's recipients were, were dealing with were, were threats of life and death. And I think there's two types of trials that um, broadly that we might face as a, as a Christian, or two outcomes of trial. And those are the ones that shore up our faith and strengthen it, and those are the ones that leave it weaker, and ironically, it's normally the opposite human experience that leaves us with a stronger or a weak faith. In, in, in moments of human weakness, it's then that we rely and learn to lean on God's strength. And it's often the moments of security and comfort and prosperity that we allow the thoughts to creep in maybe that we don't need God and we're okay without him. But this is why Peter can tell us to rejoice in persecution, because he's confident that in that and through that, our faith will be strengthened, and hope will be honed. Whereas today, I feel that maybe the struggles and trials we face um, are things like doubt, things like comfort. Verse seven. I'm flying through this, I'm gonna have some water. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This analogy of gold and our faith shows us a couple things. One is the sheer value and preciousness of our faith. It's compared to that of a precious commodity like gold. Something that should be highly valued and cared for and stewarded and guarded, more so than any physical thing. Because as we read earlier, that faith actually keeps us on the path of salvation. Faith actually keeps us. So it should be respected, it should be protected, it should be valued highly. The other thing that we can notice is this parallel between the processing and the refining of gold with that of the formation of a genuine faith in us. This picture suggests that just as gold is, is, is exposed to heat and it's refined and purified and shaped into something with purpose, in the same way so is our faith. Gold that has not been exposed to fire remains murky and shapeless. And belief that hasn't faced opposition might look the same. Gold that hasn't been exposed to the fire looks murky and shapeless and maybe without a purpose, but a a belief and a faith that has faced the fire will be strong. I touched on it just then, but this is interesting. The, the, The result of being tested by the fire is to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation and the realization of Jesus. So the outcome of the fire and the testing is a bold confidence at the reality of Jesus. So what stops a bold confidence in Jesus? What is it that prevents this? What is the fire for us? And can I suggest that one of the main trials that we face in our faith is doubt? And like hope, I think maybe I've had a wrong view on doubt or only a partial view on what doubt is. And I think I've, I've, I've wrongly considered doubt just to be the opposite of faith. Opposite of faith is doubt. Like night and day or light and dark, that in the presence of faith there can't be doubt or in the, in, the, in the presence of doubt, faith must be absent. But I don't think that's quite right. And if, if anything, what I believe is that, that doubt is an element of faith. Doubt is an element of faith. Doubt is like hope, when it's submitted to the fire and to the testing, it actually can add substance to our faith. Doubt and hope, when they're submitted to the fire, can actually add substance to our faith. Here's a sentence that helps me understand this relationship a little bit. My dad said he'll be home for dinner. but I know he's been busy with work, but I hope he will be. My dad said he'll be home for dinner. That's faith. My dad will do what he said he would do. But I know he's been busy with work. That's doubt. Knowing that human experience and different factors can, can affect it and can come in. That's allowance of doubt. But I hope that he'll be here. I hope that he'll be here. See, all these elements can exist together. They're not exclusive. And what a living hope does is it allows us to have faith even in the presence of doubt. What a living hope does is it allows us to have faith even in the presence of doubt. Because it's based on the character of a good father. It's not aimless, it's a living hope. It's based on the character of a good father who loves us and will do what he said he will do. I want to uh, explore this um, doubt idea a little bit more, so we'll we'll switch lanes for a moment and come back to Peter. But... um, if I mention the idea of doubt and ask you to pick someone in the Bible um, who corresponds, you'd probably, like me, think of this guy we know as Doubting Thomas or, or the disciple Thomas. And I think he's a little bit unfairly named, um, to be honest. That, that's, that's what we know him by. So we'll read the account and, uh, and, and we'll learn a little bit about doubt from the one with the title Doubting Thomas. So in John 20, 19 to 29, and this is... Um, this is following directly on from, from where Josh preached last week, that after um, the resurrection of Jesus, um, where, where Mary sees him and Peter and John race to the tomb, um, the disciples are then hanging out. Um, they're hiding from um, the officials because they're, they're scared. that uh, they, they don't know what this means. There's rumors floating around and they don't want to be blamed or, or killed yet. And, uh, and this is Sunday night. Um, that the disciples are hanging out, and Jesus rocks up right in the middle of them, even with doors locked, and and they see him, they believe, they come to believe in the resurrection, but there's one guy missing, uh, which of course is Thomas. So John chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Notice that they needed to see the hands and the side before they recognized him as well. It wasn't just Thomas. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas, the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days after eight days the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said peace to you then he said to Thomas reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side do not be unbelieving but believing and Thomas answered him and said my Lord and my God Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't know if Thomas is the the skeptic that history paints. If anything, I think he has some valid concerns. This guy was all in. He was sold out for Jesus. He wasn't the Judas of the group. He was all in on this message that Jesus brought. A few chapters earlier, when, uh, when Jesus goes to raise Lazarus, there's 11 disciples that say, no, Jesus, we're not going. They're going to stone you. But it's Thomas that says, let's go that we might die with him. Should be called brave Thomas. I don't know. It sounds like a Peter thing to do. But we know him as doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas just, for, just for housing some concerns that maybe... Maybe the disciples got it wrong, or they didn't actually see what they thought they saw, or maybe they were grieving so much that they were mistaken. A few days earlier, Jesus, his master, his teacher, his friend, his savior, was brutally arrested, whipped, torn, beaten, and crucified on a cross and humiliated while all he could do was watch. The one that all of his hope, was riding on. All his eggs were in this one basket, and all he could do was watch him die on that cross. Like I said, Saturday, there was no one that was believing in Jesus. So to hear secondhand that Jesus was alive and walking, you can probably imagine and resonate with Thomas's caution. Um, If any of you tell me Jesus is back, I don't know if I'm believing that until I see it. So, Thomas is being the kind of guy that he's all in or he's all out. He doesn't just voice his, his doubt, he actually gives an ultimatum and he says, Unless I see the hands, the prints of the nails, and put my fingers into the prints of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Kind of reminds me of Gideon demanding of God to respond in a certain way at a certain time, um, exactly as he wants to do before, before he believes. Has anyone ever tried this with God before? I don't know if I'm going to see many hands. I'll, I have. I'll, I've, I've prayed prayers like this before, and I think the youth will be familiar with this story. But one of the very first prayers I can vividly remember as a as a kid, just a couple of months ago. No, Let's see if I can reenact it for you. Maybe I was seven or eight or something at the time, but I raised raised a Christian. Christian household had a faith, but learning to understand, and accept it for myself. Of course, housing doubts. I remember praying, "God, I know You're real. I think, like, I really, really want to know for sure." So, on the count of three, I want you to turn my finger guns into a real gun. <laughs> like, I won't shoot anyone. I promise. I'm just going to shoot at the sky. I'm not a trouble child. Like, that was God's concern. I remember vividly praying this prayer. I think we all have a bit of Thomas in us. We all have some valid concerns. And I think most of us could share a story about moments where we doubted God, whether he's good, whether he listens, whether he did what he said he did, whether he's even there listening on the other end. And maybe you're like me or Thomas, where you put it all on the line before and prayed to prayer and given God an ultimatum where you said, if you don't meet me here and now like this, then I don't know if I can do this anymore. If you're like me, maybe you've even felt shame or guilt around having doubts. It's one thing as a child, but as a teenager, as an adult, a young adult, a grandparent, to have doubts and wrestle with this, that's not something we should go through, right? But can I tell you this morning that doubts are not something to be ashamed of. Doubts are not something to care away from and hide and compartmentalize in a secret box. But actually, it's the testing and the honesty and the openness to voice doubts that are going to strengthen our faith and give clarity and direction to our hope. Can I suggest this possibility that some of us have actually lost the faith to voice our doubts, actually lost the faith to expose our doubts? Because it's easier to conceal them than maybe to let them burn a little bit, to feel the heat, but it's the burning and the refining that actually strengthens the faith in the end. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And Jesus responded to the faith that Thomas showed through his doubt and said, here I am, stop doubting and believe. And we don't know if Thomas actually poked the holes or not. A lot of the, uh, the artists depict it that way, that with, a, with a finger through the, the hole in the hand. We don't know if if he actually felt the pain. So we know he was offered, but we don't know if seeing was believing enough or if he wanted that physical evidence. But what we do know is that the revelation and the reality of Jesus unlocked faith enough for Thomas to say, my Lord and my God. It's easy to laugh at the finger gunner story, which I do often. As a kid, who was just dumb enough to ask God to show himself. And with a bit of hindsight, I can see that God has shown himself to me, if not the way that I demanded at the time. Some might say that was a good thing. But it doesn't actually mean that I stopped having doubts as I grew older. I just stopped inviting God into them. I just hid them away. But what Thomas shows us is that we can bring our doubts to Jesus and he will gift us with faith. He shows his scars to remind us of the living hope that we have in him. And Jesus saw that in the middle of Thomas's doubt and his demands was a man who just wanted to believe in him again. And he graciously met him exactly where he's at. And I know if Jesus wasn't ashamed by Thomas's doubt, neither is he ashamed of mine or of yours. Don't get me wrong, Jesus wants us to have more faith. He still says, Thomas, you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen me and believe. He encourages a bolder, stronger, deeper faith that can be completely detached from our senses. Many of us know that God will not usually meet our demands to touch his wounds or to soak the doormat three times or to turn finger guns into a real gun. So we need to actually build up a faith that is secure enough to let God work outside of our understanding. We need to build a faith that's strong enough that God can work outside of our understanding and our comprehension and we can still have it. But we should never hide our doubts away from him. Let's finish off um, First Peter now. We'll start to close. 1 Peter 7, 8, 9, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Maybe the testing of your faith is from it is from persecution, or maybe it's from a crisis, or sin, or maybe you resonate and you do battle with doubt. Whatever fire it is that you're sweating from, be encouraged that you can hold on to the living hope that brings joy inexpressible, praise and glory at the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can hold on to Jesus, who even though we can't see or touch, we love. All of this so that through our doubts, in the middle of our doubts, at the end of our faith, we receive the inheritance that we hope for and we long for the salvation of our souls. These passages stand as a reminder of this relationship of faith, hope, and doubt. I'm encouraged by Thomas that my doubts aren't something to be ashamed of, something to put away, but I bring them before God, submit them to his will, submit them to the fire, uh, that he will respond with the gift of faith. That if I don't hide them away, that they will go on to strengthen and, and add substance to my faith, add substance to a faith that builds it stronger, that it can endure the test of life that I can endure and make it to heaven where there's an inheritance that never perishes, that never fails, where we receive the salvation of ourselves. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.